0: Sisters, I hope this recording finds you doing well and navigating these certainly tumultuous and fast times with grace. The topic I'd like to talk to you about today is investing in loss. Investing in loss is a term that I came across with Chen Man Ching's writing, who was the proponent of Tai Chuan the slow-moving martial arts, and he brought it to this country in the 60s. I think he came here in 1964. And he's the person that actually made it famous or well-known in the West, the West meaning mostly starting in the U.S. And he had this term that was invest in loss, which the idea is to learn to lose. When you practice Tai Chi Chuan, you do this exercise called push hands. And in order to master it, which can take many, many years and actually can take decades, you practice with the quote-unquote opponent and you learn to soften your body and you learn to learn the other person's moves by instead of hardening, as one would do in most martial arts, to soften and let the person push you. And over a period of time, you can actually redirect that energy. But in order to get to that point of redirecting the energy, you get pushed a lot, you fall backwards, you fall on your ass, and that's something that the ego hates. And if you have prior martial arts experience, mostly what's called hard styles, your body does not want you to do that. Your body will constantly harden, tighten up, which is exactly what it does in life when things come its way, the ego's way, that the ego does not want to let in it hardens, it tightens. But when you're playing with a Taiji player who's been doing it a long time, the second you get hard, they can even push you easier with less effort. So Chen Man idea was to invest in lostment, you get pushed over so many times, you get the ego out of the way so many times, that with practice you can actually soften. That when an energy comes to your field that feels aggressive, instead of hardening, which is what we all do, you actually learn how to soften, to yield. The Chinese have a great saying how the tongue in your mouth, which is softer, lasts a long time, much longer than your teeth, which are harder. But of course, it takes a tremendous amount of courage to learn to be the tongue as opposed to the teeth. Especially in the Western world, we all try to become the teeth. We actually want to become super hard teeth teeth they can grab things but teeth do break and teeth do decay. So if you come across an old person they will always have their tongue but rarely will they have their teeth. So in our spiritual quest we do want to become the tongue and we do want to soften as much as we can. These are great words but very few people can actually put them into practice because again most of us operate from a place of fear and we harden when things come our way that are not palliative to our ego that don't feed what we think we are a couple of weeks ago an arsonist broke into my home and poured gasoline over all my belongings and tried to torch my house and actually managed to torch my garage and burn basically 40 years of my belongings from racing and motorcycles and parts and tools and for a guy like me it would have probably been easier to lose my house than actually lose my garage which is something that I've loved from since I was a little boy now in a big scheme of things as long as one has one's health these are small things At another level, on an ego level, is a profound, devastating effect, as any of you who've lost homes. And it's interesting for me to even use the language of house as opposed to home, because this place has always been my home. So the first thing is how we inhabit a space and make it, with our spirit, our home. Our home isn't really a place as much as where we pour our energy into So it's interesting to even use the word house because already my spirit has been pulled out of this place that was once sacred. So it's important to remember that it's our spirit that makes our home, not the physical belonging, something that's very hard in our culture to grasp because we're all trained to be externally referenced, that we connect with the external object or sometimes people, persons as opposed to constantly keeping our own center in ourselves. Now, two things that are just interesting. This is a place I've lived in for about 11 years. And about a week and a half before this happened, I started finding dead birds around the house, which I'd never found before. So within a matter of about seven or eight days, i had found three dead birds. But the first one I was like, hmm, this is interesting. By the second one, I was like, well, what's this about? By the third one, it was more like, oh shit, this is not good. And not necessarily as an omen, but I certainly took it as, pay attention. So this first issue is how the outside and the inside are very linked and how we are given signs. If we pay attention, the universe does kindly, gently warn us of what's to come. We don't always know that, or we don't want to know that, but certainly that happens. Now, in the you can't make this shit up department, the fireman who actually got to the scene first and put out some of the fire was the father of the person who actually set the fire. So these cycles and these dances, these karmic dances we have with people is very profound. And again, signs of how we're connected in ways that are invisible to the eye. Now, I'm not sharing this information with you to freak you out or to make you feel sorry for me. And please (laughs) withhold any emails of sorrow for me. I'm actually very fine. But I want to use it as a teaching tool for all of us because loss comes to all of us. And one of the gifts of these kinds of profound losses is that we learn how to let go. We learn how to die while we're still alive. So when something like this happens, For me, it's always interesting watching people's response to it because similar to an illness, to a divorce, to a painful event, rarely is people's reactions to us, about us, as those of you again who've experienced ill health or loss, it's more about their fears that they project on you. So it's very common when these things happen that people look for meaning, to search for meaning because this is how the mind functions. If it understands, or if it thinks it understands, which rarely it can because it's so much bigger than us, it will feel more secure. But the gift of these things is actually not to feel secure. To go through the different stages of loss, those of you who are familiar with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's work around dying people are familiar with the different phases, that one goes through denial, one goes through anger, one goes through grief, and then finally comes into acceptance. But the acceptance part is the medius part. And the acceptance part, not from a place of being a victim, but from, A, understanding the temporal nature of this realm, that it all goes up in smoke anyway. But also, when one learns that it goes up in smoke before death is knocking on one's door, It actually can make the rest of life sweeter. Because so much of what we take for granted comes from this illusion and misunderstanding that it's all permanent. What actually makes this realm so tasty, so juicy, is the fact that it's impermanent. The thing that we fear so much is actually what gives meaning to this level. And what I always liken it to is like watching a movie. When you watch a movie you've seen before, it loses the charge that it has when, as opposed to a movie you've seen for the first time. Because you really don't know what the next chapter is going to be like. And for us, we have these perceived con- ideas, preconceived ideas of how the movie should look like, where it should go. But in fact, that would just be seeing a movie you've seen many times before. So when sudden changes like this come, once one goes through the grieving and the anger and comes to acceptance, it can actually be very exciting because life is actually changing the course of where you thought it was going. So through acceptance, through letting go, through investing in loss, one can actually, A, become more pliable, B, bring back that joy that was taken out by falling asleep and hypnotized in routine living. In sleepwalking, which is really what it is. So, fire is one of those profound things for those of you who've heard me talk about it before burning away what doesn't serve us. So, in my case, if I look back, I look at my garage, for example, which has been 40 years of my life. Of course, there's tremendous grief in losing that. There can be anger, which there certainly is. But once that is engaged with, felt, There's actually a tremendous freeing because we come here alone butt naked and we, we leave here alone butt naked. So to remember that, then we become less grabby, we become less attached. But less attached doesn't mean shut down. Because a process like this, when I think through painful divorce, one can actually shut down. And that actually isn't the preferred outcome. The preferred outcome is becoming the tongue, not the teeth, not becoming more hard. So, the interesting thing of what I was talking about, about people's reactions, people right away go into like, well, you gotta wanna kill that bastard, right? And actually, no. It breaks my heart for this person. Of course I feel anger, but I also look at a 20 year old man who's gonna go to jail for a long time for a stupid, impulsive action now let's talk about that for a second the person who burned this house is actually a kid that I knew from the neighborhood that had actually relationship with over the last 10 years person who was in tremendous amount of pain now this is something that we all do to some extent when we're in pain this person takes their pain pours it into a place and then tries to burn it which of course is not something that works but that's an aspect in all of us where we project our pain into somebody else and then try to destroy them. We all do it on a regular level where we'll totally diss someone and then throw our rage at them, throw our grief at them. Where in fact, it's something that has to be processed internally. In order to be moored internally, we actually have to have a relationship with ourselves. Again, something that's lacking for most of us unless we have a daily practice where we actually sit and feel and process this constantly ever-changing landscape that's our emotional life that's so deep that most of us don't even put our toes in it because it's become so unfamiliar due to the constant running around that we're not in relationship with ourselves anymore. Most of us, our alignment is with the outside. Internal alignment, being more internally, is the only way we can see what's going on inside. And then once one is moored internally, we can really enjoy material life without being attached to it. So there's a difference between detachment and not being attached. A lot of what passes for spirituality in our culture is people who've had a pain due to life not going their ego's way, their perceived way, and then they get detached from it. That's actually not the correct alignment you know one can run into people who have true joy in their lives and they're not really attached to it it's not about whether they have millions in the bank or they have no money in the bank it's about their internal alignment being moored to their inside not dependent on external circumstances that's something that has to be worked at on a daily level but certainly something we're all capable of so ultimately it's not about having or not having, it's about our relationship to the things which then is really coming from our relationship to ourself. Last night, there was almost a full moon and I was standing underneath it. And obviously being in this open space of having had to deal with this trauma, with this loss. It was something I hadn't experienced in a while because I hadn't slowed down enough in a while of just standing there and feeling the absolute love. The love that permeates all around us. The love of this moon shining down on me. The love of this moon shining upon every living inanimate, animate object. We are bathing in an ocean of love, not in some cute new-agey way, but a literal, literal love which is the glue that binds everything here. And this glue is not about what we have or what we don't have, who loves us, who doesn't love us, what we love, what we don't love. But literally, it's our true nature. Love is what this whole thing is about. Sometimes it takes a pummeling, almost always it takes a pummeling, to open up enough, to let go of the hardness of the teeth, to become the softness of the tongue, to feel this love. And that love is here amidst all the chaos, all the horrible things that we do to each other, all the horrible things that we have to take in. It's constantly here. So whether your fortune is up in this moment that you're listening to this, or your fortune is going down, open up a little bit and feel that love. Feel how loved you are, just for the fact that you are, that you have the consciousness to be here. So just take a moment every day in the midst of doing what you're doing, going after what you think will bring you joy, trying to push away what you mistakenly think is bringing you misery, and feel. Tap into this ever-expanding love that's your birthright, that more importantly is your true nature. Whether death is at your doorstep, or so far away that you don't even think about it. Open up to this energy. Let it feed you, let it carry you, let it inform you. This is who you are. Uh, two last things I'd like to talk to you about today. Two things that have come up in my sessions in these last couple of months since our last talk. One is the difference between taking and receiving. Taking, which really comes from greed, comes from fear, is a grabbing act. It can be grabbing at at material things. It can be grabbing at love. Receiving is an art. Receiving is the feminine principle of learning to be open to let things come into you. Whereas the taking, which is much more effort, the masculine principle, is a grabbing. People who take will never be sufficiently fed because they're always an act of grabbing. This is our archetypes that we have right now, for example, with the bankers. The reason we get so internally repulsed, because we know it's not something that will ever have an end. You can destroy this planet and not take enough to feed you because you're constantly hungry. The image of the hungry ghost again, which the Buddhists have. The concept of this huge, big-bellied monster that's got a pinprick for a mouth and it can never take enough to shove through that pinprick of a mouth to fill that big belly. That hungry ghost is in all of us. And the only way that it gets healed is if we not learn to make that mouth bigger, not learn to shove more into it, but actually slow down enough and learn how to receive, to take in. The second thing I wanted to talk to you about is the confusion we have in our culture between familiarity and intimacy. Many times, especially in relationships, especially in intimate relationships, if we've had woundings in the past, we will go after things, people, places that are familiar. And we confuse that with intimacy. Intimacy is actually every time a new experience where we have opened ourselves enough, similar to receiving, become vulnerable enough where we can come into intimacy. For most of us, the best that we think intimacy is actually familiarity. It's a familiar situation, it reminds us of something, and we'll repeat the same pattern. So I invite you today to examine, to see where in your life have you confused being familiar with someone as opposed to having true intimacy with them. Every day I treat people who have been in relationships for decades with people that you're familiar with, but are not intimate with them. And many times, it's only when death or misfortune that knocks on our doors that we're forced to examine the familiarity. A lot of the grieving that comes up when we start losing someone, besides the obvious fact that it's brutal, is the fact that we haven't been intimate with them. If we've truly been intimate with someone, it's actually easier to let them go, because their essence is in you. Their essence is connected with you. So look in your life and take an honest inventory of how often are you confusing the two. And this doesn't only extend out to people, it also extends out to material things. For me personally, my garage, which was really my temple, a place that I went to day after day, and I prayed to the Divine by having tools in my hand, being so in love with these gorgeous, beautiful tools and motorcycles that I have built with my own hands. I was intimate with them. So in the moments when I was in that garage, it was just me being in the moment, every moment. I wasn't thinking about other things. I was feeling the tools in my hands. I was working on these motors and engines. It was an intimate experience, which is what made it holy. It was holy because I was in a moment with them. and. This home was holy because I was in a moment in it. And of course this energy is within me. It will be recreated. When that kind of intimacy is there, the loss is actually much easier to take in. Because there's a knowingness in the moment that all this can go up in smoke at any moment. And also the knowledge that is within me, is not outside of me. It's what that comes from within that can actually then be recreated anywhere. That's not to take away the grief of things, the sadness of things, which is the nature of this realm. But one grieves, and as long as there is the heart beating, one recreates. That's the only thing that can be done. Not to shut down, not to pull back in pain, not to be just sorrowful, but feel the pain, feel the grief, and recreate. Now, I'd like to sit together with the sound of the fire, and do a little meditation. So feel your feet on the ground. Drop your breathing. Feel your hands. Feel your feet. Breathe in and ground yourself. Breathe in from the top of your head down to the bottom of your feet. Nice deep breath and out. Let's make an intention together to let go, to burn away what doesn't serve us, to surrender, to become like the tongue and less like the teeth every day. Inviting the joy that's our birthright through surrendering and burn away, burn away, burn away. we let go all that does not serve us and invite in and make room for all others phoenix rising i send you lots of love